0: Welcome to the Multifamily Five, where industry experts provide raw information about how they're achieving success in the current market conditions. And now, your host, Dallas-based real estate broker, Mark Allen. And welcome to the Multifamily Five. Today, I have Rob Beardsley from Lone Star Capital. Rob, how's it going? Going very well, how are you? Doing well. Long time no see and talk. Yeah, that's right. Glad to be here. Yeah, so um, <laughs> this is something that I've seen recently that you're, uh, I know you're You're an owner of multifamily, um, but also now providing um, a preferred equity solution. So I look forward to digging more into that. But let's go ahead and just start with yourself. Will you tell, your, or tell our listeners a little bit more about uh, your background, experience, and uh, what you're focused on today?
1: Yeah, sure. So, you know, thanks for having me. Thanks for the introduction. My name is Rob Beardsley. A few years ago, my business partner and I, we founded Lone Star Capital to focus on owning and operating multifamily, primarily in Texas. And prior to founding Lone Star, I was working on uh, multifamily with my family uh, through my family's business. I grew up in a real estate family, uh, you know, back in California, uh, you know, seeing my parents run a real estate brokerage firm basically from home really exposed me to a lot of, you know, real estate conversations and, and just business being done. So it's, uh, it's really in my blood and, you know, really excited to, to keep it going. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So uh,
0: your fo- is your focus today, buying and owning multifamily? Um, or is it more so on the preferred equity solution?
1: So w- you know, they're both, they're both equal. It's like your kids, you can't pick a favorite. Um, you know, they're both uh, very important to our business uh, and the preferred equity, as you mentioned, is more new to us, so it's kind of this more new, exciting and uh, thematic opportunity, especially with the the backdrop of the COVID capital markets, if you will.
0: Yeah, okay. So let's start with what is preferred equity?
1: So preferred equity is a, a, a financing solution that it kind of straddles the line between debt and equity. And the lines do get blurred because preferred equity is not preferred equity. There are different ways to structure it and it means different things to different people. But the the basic you know, definition of it is it is an investment made into the equity portion of, of a property, but there are control rights outlined in the operating agreement um, which is somewhat like a joint venture agreement and actually can be just as simple as a joint venture agreement. or it can have more um, you know it can have things like default interest and takeover rights and things that are a little more like debt in terms of remedies. So you've got the uh, you know the equity in terms of ownership. you've got fixed returns, meaning you're you're typically not participating in the upside. Like equity, so that's why it's more debt-like in in the return profile, and then you've got controls and and you know default remedies that are similar to debt as well. Okay, and at
0: Lone Star Capital, you're looking to connect with multifamily deal sponsors. And what
1: is that ideal? What what is that? What does the deal look like, or who is the ideal sponsor? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. You know, as we're investing preferred equity in deals, we're seeking other sponsors that are uncovering unique opportunities that we can help them succeed in. And so really, there are are two main reasons why a sponsor should or would seek out preferred equity. And reason number one is simply leverage. So if you find a deal that you have high conviction on you think it's a home run. And rather than going out there and raising joint venture equity, and you know, really sharing the profits with everybody, you can bring in a preferred equity partner, that's seeking a lower return profile, that's going to earn a fixed rate of return and the sponsor for the common equity can earn all of the upside above and beyond the preferred equity. So to put it in numbers, let's say you find a deal and you think it's a 20% return. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can bring in preferred equity at let's say, let's say 14% for up to half of the equity, and you're gonna get that positive spread between the 20 and the 14 and keep all that upside. So that's going to maximize your returns. Uh, the other reason why you would seek out preferred equity is simply because you you have an equity requirement. Let's say you need to raise three, four, six million bucks. And rather than spending all your time passing the hat around to trying to raise equity, you could come to a preferred equity source and get a big chunk of your equity right away from, from one source.
0: Okay. And I think that was going to be my next question is why would someone consider preferred equity versus traditional equity? And you know, I think probably the, that, that response and um, those two items answer that. Anything else you'd add to that? Why else you'd consider preferred equity versus traditional equity?
1: Yeah, I think there are some other smaller benefits. For example, if you're a, a newer sponsor and have less of a, a balance sheet, maybe less experience, those are big hurdles uh, when you're starting out as far as getting senior debt. And a preferred equity partner that has a uh, more of a balance sheet and has more experience can help a newer sponsor navigate the the senior debt, and also co sign as a loan guarantor, and help them actually uh, qualify and close on that senior loan. So that's, that, that that's something that's, you know, pretty value added as a preferred equity partner. I mean, not everybody does that. But that's something that you can find in a preferred equity partner. And also, uh, another benefit similar to that is just bringing that experience to the table. And, uh, you know, hopefully adding value at the asset management level, not just saying, here's the money and, and you know, send us send us the checks, but actually, you know, being involved, being able to help uh, with, you know, certain budget items or or business plan direction or or financing. Mm. So I think those are ancillary benefits. Okay.
0: And, and I'm not sure I'm clear on who, who is the target. I mean, are these one to $5 million checks? Are these five to 10? Um, Is it kind of like your your, uh, more boutique uh, syndicator that's done a few deals or is it more of a middle market
1: player? Yeah, it's a great question. So so we really, I mean, we think preferred equity is attractive all across the market, Mm -hmm. Uh, but specifically our thesis and where we think there's a a really strong niche is in the lower middle market non-institutional space of preferred equity, which is I would say $1 to $4 million preferred equity checks. And if you if you do the math, a $4 million PREF check, and let's just say the, the preferred equity is making up 10% of the uh, capital stack, that would be up to a $40 million deal. So we're really targeting deals that are $40 million and less. And that's a space where there really aren't a lot of preferred equity providers. Uh, most preferred equity lenders are coming from large institutional funds, and they are trying to invest, you know, Two hundred to five hundred million dollars and it's very difficult for them to do that if they don't have a five or a ten million dollar minimum so for us we we're avoiding that competition uh, by focusing on these smaller checks and at the same time in this space sponsors that are seeking one two three four million dollar prep checks they're also similarly uh, less likely to have access to abundant capital right they're they're probably not a fund they're probably not investing out of a fund or you know, have institutional capital relationships, they're they're most likely, you know, dealing with smaller family offices, or they're syndicating equity with high net worth investors. And, you know, that's a very challenging and time consuming thing to be doing. And I think that's where the the connection there, the appeal of preferred equity in this lower middle market is highly attractive. Mm -hmm. Okay, can you
0: talk to me a little bit about the cost and target returns of your preferred
1: equity? Sure. So, you know, coming from, like you said, we're an owner operator at the core, you know, we really understand the needs of a sponsor, uh, you know, whether they be syndicating or doing joint ventures, whether they're doing short term hold, long term hold, value add. Uh, So, you know, we want to tailor our pricing and our preferred equity to their business plan and to their goals. And so With that being said, we obviously need to earn our return, which we're typically seeking for an all in return of 14% made up of a blend between current pay and accrual pay. And what current pay is, is it simply the amount uh, being distributed on a monthly basis similar to a mortgage payment. And the accrual is what is accrued to the payoff. And so a payoff can come in the form of, you know, preferred equity could be paid off through a refi, a sale, a recapitalization, you know, a combination. And, um, you know, so basically, if we're accruing, let's say, 6%, then and we and our preferred equity money is out for two years, and then it's paid off through a refi because the sponsor went in there, did some value add, raised the rents, increase the value, they're able to get a supplemental loan or refi to pay us off. After those two years, we ended up accrued uh, 6% for year one, 6% for year two. And so then upon payoff, we would earn, we would be paid off and then get an additional 12%. So we can scale the current pay and the accrual up or down as needed for the sponsor. You know, if they're trying to solve for a certain cash on cash number, we can lower our current pay. And then, you know, obviously just raise the accrual. Um, At the same time, if a sponsor has got a cash cow and they wanna pay us, as high of a current pay as possible, we can take a higher current pay and then lower our accrual um, to to account for that reduced risk. So obviously as as the investor, if we're receiving all of our return or a bulk of our return through current pay, we perceive that as lower risk.
0: Awesome. So it sounds like there's some flexibility. Um, and, And with that, or along the same lines, what would be the benefit of working with Lone Star Capital versus another preferred equity um, structure out there? I'm sure, you know, f- maybe flexibility is is one aspect.
1: Yeah, flexibility is definitely the big one. Like I said, we're an owner operator. So we really know what what sponsors need and, and what they're what they might be looking to do. So we're willing to, to work with them in that regard. Um, you know, another benefit is like I mentioned before, I think it's it's really the, it's really the big one is the the dearth of PREF providers in this you know, call it one to $4 million space. Um, I don't wanna say we're the only game in town because I'm sure uh, there are others and I actually know some, but uh, that that is just a really um, uncompetitive space. And so I think that's the void that we really wanna focus on. Okay, awesome. Um, and I guess this
0: would be the last question that I have that comes to mind. What about, and I don't know if you can talk to this, but maybe the difference between preferred equity and mezzanine debt. I know they're similar in some aspects, but different in others.
1: Yeah, so preferred equity and mezzanine debt are, are very similar in that they both are subordinate financing that you know sits on top of the senior and kind of plays that in between role or the gap, if you will. So, so the differences with with them are mezz is actually a pledge. The, so mezz loans are taking a pledge of the equity as collateral. Um, in return for making that loan. So, so MEZ is actually a loan and it can foreclose on the equity through a UCC foreclosure. So from a lender's perspective, I would imagine lenders find that as more secure uh, because they are taking collateral, they're taking a pledge, and they are able to actually wipe out the entire equity through a foreclosure. So meanwhile, on the preferred equity side, there isn't a pledge, and you know there really isn't collateral other than the ownership of the underlying asset through the preferred equity investment. Similarly, there is no exact foreclosure process for preferred equity. However, there are methods to uh, you know do a non-payment or underperformance. There are ways to uh, you know put the sponsor in default in a preferred equity scenario, and then. Uh, you know, you can apply default interest to dilute the equity. So you can dilute equity, but not actually foreclose it uh, in preferred equity. So, and then the last distinction is, are they the tax benefits due to ownership, right? So in, in a mezzanine scenario, you're not actually owning equity in the property, so tax benefits can't flow to you. With preferred equity, uh, you are owning equity and so then you can not all preferred equity providers do this, but you can elect to have the tax benefits of the real estate flow to your preferred equity, you know, at a, at a prorated uh, basis, you know, based on your capital account. So those are the two big differences. And we get asked the question, well, why don't you know? Do you do mezz, and you know, why or why not? And the answer is no, because you know, number one, we want to be friendly to sponsors, and we also want to be able to sit behind. Uh, You know, agency debt and work with agency lenders in conjunction with the sponsor, uh, you know, to make the deal happen, which the agencies are, as you could understand, are picky and particular about what kind of, you know, pref language is in there. And, you know, as far as I know, they don't allow uh, mezzanine debt. And then the the big thing for us as well as the tax benefits, you know, our investors investing with us in preferred equity, they rely on the tax benefits tremendously to solve for you know, optimal after tax returns, where that's what's really unique about uh, the preferred equity strategy from the investor standpoint is, yeah, you can go make hard money loans and maybe make 12% and and something like that, but then you're going to get crushed with taxes. Um, Whereas on preferred equity, you can make a similar debt like return. uh, But then you're coming out way ahead on an after tax basis.
0: Awesome. Yeah, and quick plug for Greystone. So Greystone does have a Fannie Mae approved mezzanine program. So Fannie Mez program. Um, it's expensive, twelve percent, but I think we can lever up to about eighty-five percent. And this is different than most dust lenders. So just kind of an FYI. Um, yeah,
1: I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, that is very unique. I'm I'm familiar with that product, and uh, I think that's a that's a you know great option for people. It's, it's like you said, unique among dust lenders.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's great for um, syndicators that are coming in and, and maybe have a longer term hold period and they want to come in add value and then take out the MES piece with the supplemental loan. Um, that's a whole different discussion. One other question that I have. Uh, so what is your recourse as a preferred equity? Let's just say the, the deal happens to go south and I hate to talk worst case scenario, but um, it, if, you know, the occupancy is, is diving, uh, what, what is your recourse when, you know, you're, uh, I'm assuming the majority check writer um, as the preferred equity partner?
1: Yeah, so, and this brings up a, a nuance about preferred equity as it relates to um, agency debt, right, Fannie and Freddie. So you have two, you know, preferred equity can be uh, put into two main buckets, which is soft preferred equity and hard preferred equity. And so focusing on hard first, a hard preferred equity or that has a hard pay is one where the current pay, let's say we're talking, you know, anywhere from five to 8% that needs to be paid out on a monthly basis. If that is not paid, in a hard pay scenario, that would actually trigger an economic default, right? Similar to a mortgage, you don't pay your mortgage, you're in default. And in a hard pay scenario that uh, that economic default would allow the preferred equity uh, investor to, um, you know, trigger their remedies, whether it be a, a default interest, a takeover in management, so they actually step in and, you know, uh, start running the deal. Could be a combination of both. So, you know, those are, the, those are the primary remedies there. And like I said, default interest allows you to dilute equity. So, you know, if, you're, if you came in with preferred equity and you owned, let's say, 50% of the equity, and then your default interest, right? You may not be getting paid on that default rate, but it's accruing and it's pushing up your ownership of the deal. Let's say from fifty to you know sixty over time, um, you know, and theoretically, eventually, right? You would eat up all the equity in the deal and you would own the deal. That's not very likely, but it is how the mechanism works. Okay. So, and then in a soft pay scenario, if if you don't pay the the current pay of you know let's say five to eight percent. There is no economic trigger, so you could still have default interest, but it's not a a trigger event whereby the pref can step in and take over. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so soft pay is as you can by the name understand it's softer, um, more friendly, and the other you know recourse or control like you're asking that that pref has whether soft or hard it would be a forced sale, and so that's you know hopefully not needed. But like you said, if we're talking worst case scenario, if you know the sponsor is underperforming, or, you know, the preferred equity provider has concerns about the business plan or the sponsor, or the market, they can simply force a sale. And the the good thing about preferred equity is if you underwrote it correctly, and you know, you're, you're smart, there's enough equity cushion in the deal, uh, meaning you're not too highly levered in the deal that even if you had to sell in an adverse scenario, there would still be enough equity there to, to pay you off fully. So that is, uh, you know, that's the benefit of the for sale. Um, and then I should also mention that, you know, just to, to keep sponsors at ease, you know, the for sale doesn't have to be structured as, oh, I can force a sale whenever I want, however I want, you know, mm-hmm. it could be structured that it could be well, after a certain amount of time, you know, let's say after three years, or after five years, if we haven't been paid off, then we can force a sale anytime. Or it could be, well, if X, Y, and Z metrics aren't being met, let's say a certain DSCR, or a certain, you know, NOI number or cash flow, then we can force a sale. Okay. Awesome. Well, Rob, that was uh,
0: very enlightening. So I appreciate your time. What is the best way for listeners to reach out and learn more?
1: Yeah, glad you asked. So speaking of preferred equity, I just wrote and released um, a new ebook that I wrote called the preferred equity manifesto it really takes a deeper dive into all these uh, you know, aspects of deal structure, the legal, the underwriting the tax benefits. So if you want to get your hands on this ebook, you can head over to robbeardsley.me. And, um, you know, it's under the insights. Hopefully we can get a link in the, in the show notes on this one as well. And, uh, you know, if you want to reach out to me directly, feel free to do so. My email is rob at lonestarcapgroup.com.
0: Awesome. Well, Rob, again, thanks for the time. Look forward to continuing the discussion and um, I look forward to seeing you soon as well.